Hey, it's good to see you today. So glad that you are here. If it's your first time at the bridge, welcome. Glad that you're here. We know there are a lot of great churches in the valley, and we're just honored that you would choose to be with us today. Um, if you have any questions, out that first set of doors to the right, the info center, they can answer all of your questions. You can check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. We've also got a mobile app that you can download. We'd love to get connected with you, get involved with what God's doing here at the bridge, find your place and help make a difference in other people's lives as well. So thank you so much for being here today. Can we just welcome our first time guests? Thank you for joining us today. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. Maybe it's your first time to watch online. Glad that you've joined us and you're part of what God's doing at the Bridge Church today. In a few minutes, I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and get a head start, if you've got a Bible or you've got the app on your phone of some kind, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read a few verses there this morning. We've begun a series and we're talking about promised land questions. Promised land questions. I'm not going to go back and reteach what I taught last Sunday. If you're confused about some of the words that I use and expressions today, go back and listen to last Sunday's message. It'll help explain some of it to you. But we're talking about pursuing the promised life that God has for all of us. And one of my favorite studies in the Bible is the story of Israel from the time they leave Egypt until they go in and possess the promised land. And it's a long story. There's a lot to it. And we don't have time to dive into all of it. But I'm just pulling out a few highlights this month to encourage you. Because last week we talked about Egypt, the land of bondage where they started. We talked about the wilderness, the place they went through. It's never God's intention for us to stay in the wilderness. Wilderness is something you go through to get where God has called you to. We talked about the promised land. The promised land is the abundant life that Jesus promised us. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. What he was saying was, life with God is better than life without God. You know, a lot of people live their lives saying, boy, I can't wait for this thing to be over so I can go to heaven where it's better. Well, I know heaven's even going to be better than it is now, but still, life with God is better, more fulfilling, more abundant than life without God. And then we talked about possession. How do I go in and possess the promised land that God has for me? So today, I want to dive into something that I think is really, really important. And I want to go back to a question I asked last week. And I want to start here and kind of connect because we're going to be in this series throughout the month. If God provides a better life for me, wouldn't I want it? Ask yourself that question. If God has a better, more fulfilling life for me, wouldn't I want to live that life? Wouldn't I pursue it? Wouldn't I do anything to possess that life? But the process of possessing our promised land and i'm convinced god has a promised land for each and every one of us a life of purpose a life of fulfillment designed exactly for each and every one of us because we're all different we come from different places and different experiences different things that god wants to do in our lives and through our lives but god has a promised land for each one of us i talked about it last week god has a dream for all of our lives we need to dream that dream and then open our hearts to follow God into the fulfillment of that dream. 
But this life, this process of, of going in and possessing our promised land, it's initiated by God's promises, and then it unfolds only as I respond to God's promises. We talked about this last week. So today, let me, let me begin to go in a different direction slightly. Start with the question. What can keep us from possessing our promised land? Ask yourself the question. What could keep me from possessing the promised land that God has for me? Today, we're going to look at one of the obstacles, one of the problems, one of the things that can keep us from possessing that promised land. We'll get into more the next couple of weeks. But I want to look at one of the fundamental foundational things that I think a lot of people have missed in Christianity. We've not taught it well. We've not taught it in a way where people would grasp the weight and the importance of it. So today, let me just set the stage for what we're going to talk about. God has delivered Israel out of Egypt's bondage. They've had the Passover lamb. God has broken the grip of Pharaoh. They've started their journey. They've got to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's pursuing and God opens up the waters and leads this people across on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh's armies pursue, God causes the waters to come back together and drowns the entire army. So Israel is now separated from the old life. God made a statement and said, you don't have to live in slavery anymore. You are now free. I've destroyed the grip of your old enemy. And so he liberates them to start this journey. And then when they start the journey, the next thing you know, they get three days into the wilderness and they're thirsty. They need water. They come to a place where there's a lot of water, but it's poison water. It's bitter. They can't drink it. God miraculously heals the waters so they can drink of the water. So look at this. There's a miracle in getting them out of Egypt. There's a miracle at the Red Sea. And now there's a miracle here at this place called Mara when God turns the bitter waters sweet. A couple days later, they're now hungry. They're out in the wilderness. There's no food for them. They begin to grumble and complain. God gives them manna from heaven. Every morning they wake up and when the dew comes, along comes the food that God is sending them. They go a little further and, you know, they leave Mara. They leave the place of waters. They've got the food every day, but now they're thirsty again. What does God do? He gives them water from a rock. And it's not like a little bit of water begins to leak. Enough water is gushing out of this rock. We don't know how big it was, but enough water is gushing out of this rock that the entire nation has water day after day after day after day. Some Bible scholars even believe that they carried that rock around with them to make sure they had plenty of water wherever they went in the wilderness. The point is, God is continually working miracles trying to convince them that I have good plans for you, that what I have done is only preparation for the things that I'm going to do next. We were singing about a little while ago. A lot of people live in the past. Well, God did this, and God did this, and God did this, so I guess I've seen my part. No, what God has done is only preparation for the things that God's going to continue to do in our lives. And we need to live with that expectation. So then, the next thing that happens is they go to battle with the Amalekites. The Amalekites say, you can't go through our land. So they go to war, and God miraculously gives this bunch of former slaves victory in battle. So God has worked miracle after miracle to prove His nature to them. 
Then finally they come to this place called Mount Sinai. It's the place where God comes down on top of this mountain as a fire, as a cloud. And it just burns up everything on the mountain. And for several days, God rests on that mountain. And the people of Israel actually hear the voice of God speaking. And God told Moses, I want them to hear my voice so the rest of their days they'll remember this day and they will honor you because I will confirm that I've called you to lead them to the promised land. And then Moses is called by God up into this cloud on the mountain to spend time with God. And Moses goes up for several days to hear from God. And this is where we pick up the story. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Notice those words. A lot of people don't understand this. I'll get into it in a few minutes. I, I the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. Now, these verses give us what we commonly refer to as the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Okay, a lot of Jewish scholars from the Old Testament teach these as the Ten Statements from God. We call them Ten Commandments, and what we've read today are the first two commandments. And I want to focus on this today because I think a lot of people take Ten Commandments and it's like, oh my God, God is asking all this stuff of me. God's putting all these rules and these regulations on me. There's a reason why God is sharing this with them, and I'm going to get into it today, because I think a lot of people, especially in New Testament times, we tend to misunderstand what God is saying here. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you from these verses three things that we need to know about God if we're going to go on this journey. If we're going to go in and possess our promised land, if I'm going to possess my promised land, it begins with this foundation. There are three things that I really need to know that God says right here in verse number two and in verse number three. Now let's look at it. Number one, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. The first thing God does is God says, this is who I am. This is who I am. Now, now, keep in mind, God has sent Moses to these people. He's been in the desert for 40 years. He goes back to his own people there in Egypt. God uses him to work miracles. God's speaking to him and through him. But the people are just following this man, Moses. They get out on this journey and they've seen all these miracles. Now they've heard the voice of God. And the first thing that God says to them is, this is who I am. I want you to know who I am. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. Now, why is this important? If, if you go back to these slaves in Egypt, 
In Egypt, there were many, many, many gods. If you study out the stories, all of those plagues that God sent against the land was a plague to show his power over their so-called gods. So when you see ten plagues, God stepped on ten different so-called gods and said, they're not gods, I'm God. So when this group of slaves gets out away from there, remember, they've been in bondage there. They've been in that land for 430 years. Generations have come and gone, and they've adopted a lot of the beliefs of Egypt, and they've got all these other gods in their heads, their hearts, and their minds. And the first thing God says to them is, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. I'm going to walk through a few scriptures this morning. Real quickly, I want to point some things out to you, Old Testament and New Testament, that we need to understand. If we're going to go into the promised land, we need to know who God is. A lot of people don't pursue the promised land because they don't know who God is. God says, this is who I am. I am the Lord, your God. And if you want to go to the promised land, I'm going to be God of that promised land. So let me give you some scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. God said this to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, God says to them, there's no God but me. I'm the true God. I'm God. So you need to honor me and see me for who I am and for what I am. A little further down, Deuteronomy chapter 4, when God is talking about showing himself to Israel and showing his power and his voice, here's what he says in Deuteronomy 4.35, to you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself is God and there is none other beside him. See, God wants us to know there are not 17,000 gods. You know, I've been to parts of the world where some religions have got thousands and thousands of gods. God made a statement to Israel. He said, I want to be your God, and you need to know that there is no other God. I am the only God. There are imposters out there, but I am the real deal. And you need to believe me. You need to trust me. Mark chapter 12, Jesus was asked one day, what's the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said, the first commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. There is only one God, and we need to learn to honor him. John 17, when Jesus is praying for his disciples then and praying for us, the church today, Jesus said that knowing God through him is what brings eternal life to us. So we need to separate our, our, our hearts and our minds. We need to sanctify God and set him in a place where we say, there is one God, only one God, and I'm going to believe him, and I'm going to follow him. He will be the God of my life because he wants to be the God of my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said, you know, people talk about God here and God there, and you know, there are all kinds of gods in Paul's day as he traveled the world. He said, you know, there's all these gods out there. They're all imposters. They're idols. People call them gods, but they are nothing. Friend, let me tell you something today. There is nothing that's worth worshiping in this world or the world to come other than our God. He's the only one that's worthy of that place in our lives. That's who he is. That's who he is. Everything else is just an imposter of him. So let me ask you a question. We're talking about questions for the promised land. If there's only one God, wouldn't I want to serve him? 
Wouldn't I want to know who he is and what he is? Wouldn't I want to know him? Wouldn't I want his favor in my life? If he's promised eternal life, if he's promised a better life in this world, wouldn't I want to know this God and serve this God? I think so. I think so. So, first of all, the Lord says, this is who I am. I am the Lord your God. Then the second thing he says is, I brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. Second thing is, God said, this is what I've done for you. Now, now think about this in order. Number one, he says, this is who I am. This is what I am. Number two, this is what I've done for you. Is there anybody in this room today who could just nod ahead? I know we're, we're the bobblehead church, okay? We, we're not real loud. Is there anybody in this room who could nod your head and say, God's really been good to me? God's really blessed my life. See, God says, I'm the only God. I'm the one who brought you out of bondage and brought you to where you are right now. I'm the one who's done this. You know, I think sometimes we lose track. We forget the mess we were in when we first met Jesus. I think some of us forget from time to time how difficult life was. Oh yeah, we were living the wild life, we were living the fun life, we were doing everything we wanted to do. We, we, we accepted Jesus, we walked away from that life. And now sometimes we glamorize all oh, those old days, I used to be this and be, let me tell you something. Those old days were miserable, that's why you wanted out of it. Those days were leading you to the wrong place and you were getting there one day at a time. Every day of life, your feet were getting hotter because you were getting close to a really hot destination. God rescued you. And see, what God says to Israel is, look, remember, remember when you used to have to make bricks from sunup till sundown? Remember when you had little food to eat? Remember how hard life was when you were slaves? Remember when you had no will, no choice in life? Remember when you had nothing and owned nothing? Look at where you are today. You are on a journey to a better place, and I am the one who's brought you to this place. Friend, let me tell you something. If I'm going to have a healthy relationship with God, I've got to remember I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer, I'm no longer bound by sin. I'm no longer bound by habits. I'm no longer bound by an old life that was taking me to an eternal destruction. I'm no longer that person because God has liberated me. He has set me free. And God said, don't ever forget what I've done for you. Now, let's stop here for a moment because I mentioned it earlier. We sang about it and, and I want to come back to it right here. God is saying to them, haven't you learned anything about my nature yet? Haven't you stopped to realize all the great things I've done for you? Are you taking it for granted? Are you forgetting about it? Because I've done all these great things because there are more things that I plan on doing for you. There's more blessing coming your way. God doesn't want us to live in the past. He wants us to be thankful for what he's done, but he does not want us to live in yesterday's blessing. He wants to experience that his mercies are new every single morning that we live. And if I'm going to have a healthy relationship with God, I've got to realize that God is a good God and God has good intentions for my life. I say it all the time. Some of you are new to the bridge. I said it last week. I may say it every Sunday this month. God has better plans for you than you have for yourself. You think you've got good plans? God's are better. 
Because everything in your heart, all the desires of your heart, he knows how to fulfill all of that. He can do things and lead you to places you cannot go without him. So we need to accept in our hearts he's a good God and he has good plans. But then, number three, I got to move really fast, so I'm, I'm going to move quickly through this today. But the third thing is, God says, you shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods. So what do we see here? First of all, he says, this is who I am. Second of all, he says, this is what I've done. Third thing, he says, this is what I ask of you. Since there is no other God, let me be your God. Make me your God. Have you ever wondered, what does God want from me? What does God really want from me? I, I think two things I can break it down to. First thing is, He wants to be your God. He's already God. Scripture tells us that. He is God. He created all this. He's the one who'll wrap it all up when time comes. Ultimately, in the big picture, God's in control of the future. He's already God. But just because He's God does not mean He's your God. Just because He is in the place of God doesn't mean I've accepted Him as my God. See, God wants to be your God. I want to take a moment and go around the room. God wants to be your God. He doesn't want to be your God of 20 years ago. He wants to be your God of every day of your life. He doesn't want to just be the God of eternity. Well, when this life is over, I prayed the magic prayer. I've got my little certificate. I'll give it to Peter at the gate. My old pastor from 30 years ago signed that certificate. When I show him his name, they'll let me in. You know what? God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to live knowing he is my God. Every day of my life, he is my God. And the other part of this is, when you accept the fact that God is your God and you allow Him to become your God, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you start this journey and you make God your God, the next thing that God wants is He wants you to believe Him. When He speaks, when you read His Word and you read a statement, you realize, this is God, He cannot lie, He always tells the truth. If He said it, I'm going to believe it. That's what He's looking for. It's pretty simple. And you know, in the Old Testament, we, we see this concept that unfolds, and we, we sometimes miss it. It's this idea of covenant. It's a contract, literally is what it means. You see Abraham, and you see the children of Israel. They have this covenant, this contract, this agreement with God. And God says, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I want of you. The first thing that God wants of us is to let Him be our God and believe Him. That's all He's trying to get from Israel on this journey. Let me be your God and believe me, but they struggled with it. The first generation out of Egypt struggled believing who God was and what his plans were for their lives. They struggled with it. God wants us to be in covenant where everything he has is ours when we need it and everything we have is his when he needs it. That's what covenant is. And you know, it's almost like at Mount Sinai, God says, man, look back, plagues, the Passover, the deliverance from Egypt, the Red Sea, the waters at Merah, 
the food from heaven, the water from the rock, the victory of the Amalekites. What more do I have to do to convince you that I'm for you and I've got great plans for you? Will you let me be your God and have no other gods? We're talking about promised land questions. Let me ask a question. What is God's place in my heart, in my life? <clears throat> what is God's place in my heart? What is God's place in my life? Shouldn't God be first in my life? If He's really God, and if His plans are what He says they are, if He tells the truth, shouldn't He be first in my life? Or let me say it this way. Shouldn't God be at the center of my life and everything else revolve around Him and His Word and His plans? See, God says, i got better plans for you. Why are you trying to detour and go over here? I've got a better way. I've got more for you. Trust me. Why do you have to run after the flesh and the things that will lead you astray? Trust me, I've got better plans for you. Move away from those other things. If he's really God, wouldn't I want him on the throne of my life? Wouldn't I want him to be my Lord, my Savior, my God, my King? If he's got better plans, wouldn't I want to follow him? I want to stay here for just a moment. If I believe he's the only God, I will place him and I'll keep him at the center of my life, on the throne of my life. Or let me say it this way. If God is at the center of my life, that's the evidence that I believe He's God. Did you get that? That's evidence. The evidence that I believe He's God is He's at the center of my life. But if I do not believe He's the only God, and I want you to hear this, if I don't believe He's the only God, I will continually struggle with knowing His place in my life. Well, let me say it this way. If I struggle with knowing God's place in my life, that's evidence that I'm not yet convinced of who He is and what His plans are for my life. I got you thinking with me today, don't I? Good. One more little piece of this before I go to the last part of my message. One of the things God says was, I'm God, I've brought you out of the land of bondage, you shall have no other gods. I want to be your God. And one of the things he said is, don't start creating and building, fashioning idols. Don't, don't make idols. Now, most of us today would say, well, I, I would never have an idol in my house. Great. But let me talk to you about idols for just a moment. What is an idol? An idol is anything that steals the attention that should be reserved for the only true God. Now I'm going to tie this all together and then we're going to move to the last part of the message. So listen closely. Exodus chapter 32. I'm not going to take time to read it because I'm running short on time. Moses is up on the mountain. He's been there several days. I mean, there's fire, there's smoke. They've heard the voice of God. Israel doesn't know what's going on, but they're down below. In Exodus 32, the people... These people that God's trying to convince of His great plans for them. These people that God's trying to take in place in the promised land. They come to Aaron. 
Moses' brother. He said, Aaron. Now, the language is interesting. I wish I had time to read it, but I don't. The language is, Aaron, this, this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Now, let me ask you a question. Who delivered Israel from Egypt? God. But already, just a few days on this journey, 25, 30, 35, close to 40 days maybe, while Moses is away, already they shift to a place where they say, well, this Moses, this guy who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he's alive or dead. We don't know what's going on. So they said to, to Aaron, we need to have a God to follow. So Aaron said, okay, everybody bring me your jewelry and I'll, we'll make a God. So they created this idol. They melted it all down. They fashioned it into a calf and they set it up. And the words were, this is your God, Israel. This is who and what delivered you from the land of bondage. This is what got you out of Egypt. First they said it was Moses, but since he's gone, we can't see him. Then they built this calf and said, this is what brought us out of the land of bondage. God got so angry. And you see the same words in, in, in this chapter, chapter 32, that you see in chapter 20, when God was telling them, I want to be your God because I am a jealous God. What God said was, don't be giving my honor and my glory to other things. Don't let other things take the place of the reverence that is properly mine. See, an idol is anything that steals the attention, the reverence that belongs to God and places it somewhere else. See, if there are things in my life that take the place of God, that's an idol. Whether it's a person, a relationship, possessions, anything that causes me to bow and give that thing God's place becomes an idol in my life. And you know, I, I read this story and every time I read it, I think, how in the world could Israel do this and build an idol? How could they do that? But then I have to go to the next step and say, how can we allow to, ourselves to keep things in our lives that steal the attention it should be reserved only for God. He wants to be our God. He wants to be first. Because he's a jealous God. He says, don't give my glory to things that don't deserve it. And then the last part of this message, and I've got just enough time to finish this. I want to talk to you about protecting God's place in our hearts. You know, as a pastor, as a minister, I... I think I mentioned this from time to time. I think this spring, it was 46 years ago, I first went in the ministry. So I, I've been, yeah, I was seven years old, it's true. It started as a child prodigy. But all these years, I've been on this journey. And Scripture says of David, David was a man after God's own heart. David, David made some pretty ugly mistakes. He, he did some pretty, pretty rough things. He paid a price for it, and he had to repent and turn his heart back to God. He had to pray a prayer one day that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. He got messed up for a while. But God said of David, David is a man after mine own heart. 
do you know what God was saying? God was saying on this journey, even when David makes his mistakes, when I get his attention, he always comes back to me and puts me in the right place in his heart. He wants what I want. My whole life, I've been on this journey. I want to live with a pure heart. No matter how much God blesses me, I want to have a pure heart. No matter how difficult the road might be for a little while, even in tough seasons, I want to keep a right heart. Even when people attack me and say nasty things about me, I really do want to keep a right heart. I'm on this journey. So how do I protect my heart? How do I protect that place where God belongs in my heart? I'm going to take about a 45-minute teaching and condense it to about five minutes here. Real fast, okay? And some of you are going to be shocked because I'm going to talk to you for just a couple minutes here about circumcision. Now, I know what you're thinking. Because there's a physical circumcision, but there's also a spiritual circumcision. Scripture teaches about this. In the Old Testament... When God first called Abraham, he said, I want a sign in the flesh of every male that follows me. I want a sign that we're in this covenant, we're in this agreement. And he instituted physical circumcision as a sign of that covenant. Abraham was circumcised at 99 years of age, he was circumcised. His son Ishmael at 13 years of age was circumcised. And then God set it in order throughout history for Israel that on the eighth day, baby boys would be circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. Now, having said that, what we see in the Old Testament, it's types and shadows of what God's trying to do in the New Testament. What God was doing on the outward part of His people in the laws and regulations and commandments, including circumcision, was a picture of what God wanted to do in our hearts in the New Testament. So, I want to talk about this for a couple minutes. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that the heart of man is bent towards evil. We're created with fallen nature. Our hearts are bent toward evil. Here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what? If you don't keep control of your heart, it's amazing where it will take you. It'll take you to some pretty ugly places pretty fast. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7. Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that's what defiles him. You know, the the evil thoughts, the adulteries, the fornications, murders, the stealing, the covetousness, all the wickedness, the lewdness, all the things that happens, the pride, it all comes from the heart. And that's why people are defiled because they don't keep their hearts clean before God. And they let other things take the place of God. Romans chapter 2. Here's what Paul wrote. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, 
but from God. See, this theme runs through the Bible, that God is trying to get our hearts to a place where things are cut out that don't belong there. Whereas there's, the word of God is it's quick and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the ability to come in and point things out. And the spirit of God has the ability to show us what this means. And God expects us to let his word and his spirit cut things out of our lives that try to get on the throne where God belongs. This is really good teaching. Well, I, I believe in eternal security. Great. Great. I don't care what you believe. I don't care whose theology you believe. Because when you stand before God, you're going to answer for what you've done in your life and what you've done with your heart. That's how God judges us, based on our hearts. Everybody smile at me. I'm not trying to rattle theological cages. I'm just trying to prepare you in case somebody leaves today, okay? If you, if you leave for eternity today, I want you to be prepared and I want you to know. It's supposed to be light. It's supposed to be funny. Everybody <laughs> laugh, okay? Don't you hear me. God's trying to use His Word and His Spirit to purify our hearts so that God keeps the right place in our lives. It's not about the letter of the law. It's not about whether or not you've been physically circumcised. The question is, has my heart been cleansed? Have I cut away the things and let the Word of God remove the things that keep me from entering into the promised land God has for me? Galatians chapter 6 says, it's not about the physical cutting of flesh. It's about spiritual birth, being born of the Spirit, becoming a new creation, and letting God give us His life. Colossians chapter 2 says that spiritual circumcision frees us from the slavery and the bondage of the past and allows us to live and walk in victory over the old life. And finally, Philippians 3 says that spiritual circumcision frees my heart to properly worship and honor God. As I close this morning, why would we want any other gods in our lives? We've got the only God. He's got great plans for us. Why would I want something else sitting in His place in my heart and in my life? One of the reasons, and I'm wrapping up right now, one of the reasons why some believers never get into their promised land is because they never come to the place where they cleanse all their heart and give it all to God and say, I want you to be the God of everything. All of my life. All of my life. God wants to be your God. The God who can deliver you from bondage. Who can send bread from heaven when you're hungry. Who can bring water from a rock when you're thirsty who can bring healing and peace to the bitter moments of life. He wants to lead you into a life more God-filled than you ever imagined. This God, the only God, wants to be your God for the entire journey. One last promised land question. Will I follow Him and let Him be my God? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to pray two prayers this morning, but first, I want us to take just a moment and I want us to quietly just set our hearts before God and say, Father, is there some cleansing you need to do in my heart? Is there, is there, are there some things that need to shift? Are there some things that I placed in importance that really shouldn't be that important? 
have I got my heart wrapped around some things of the flesh and, and, and things that I don't need in my life? Am I, am I getting off course? Let's just take a moment. Let's just take a moment. Let's look at our hearts. Father, I ask that the Spirit of God right now would speak to every single one of us and confirm our place with you. Tell us who you are, what you've done for us, and what you want to do, and remind us you want to be our God. Do that work right now, Father, by your Spirit. Do the work that no man can do. Put your finger on things that need to be touched today. In Jesus' name. Right there for a moment, would you just make your own commitment to God? Father, we choose you to be the God of our lives. We know who you are and what you are and what you've done. We choose you. We choose you. I want you to be my God. Now and forever. And then while heads are still bowed, one last prayer. Maybe you've never really prayed that prayer. and Maybe you've never committed your heart to God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. See, God put His own Son on a cross to pay for my sins and your sins that they could be moved out of the way. He offers forgiveness and grace to us. But by faith, we have to accept His offer. By faith, we have to choose Him. So maybe you've never done that, or maybe you're just the prodigal and you've been on the run, going the wrong direction for a while, and you realize it's time to come home. I want to lead you in a prayer today. And my words aren't important. It's your heart that's important. And it's your words. I'm asking you to pray this prayer with me and wrap your heart around these words and let God use these words. So right there where you are, let's pray this prayer together. Everybody pray this out loud. Say, God, I need you. I want you in my life. I believe who you say you are. And I want you to be my God. So I open my heart to you. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I want to learn your ways. I want to follow you. I want to see you involved in every area of my life. So I give my life back to you. From this moment forward, you will be my God, you will be my Father, and I'll be your child. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for receiving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching online or if you're here in the building, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or you've, you've been on the run and you know it's time to come home, it's the most important prayer you can ever pray in life. It's got to come from your heart. It's not magic words. It's a prayer of the heart. It's a commitment of the heart. If you prayed that prayer, it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. It's not the conclusion of the promised land. It's the beginning of the journey into the promised land. We've got a little tool, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just really simple reading. It'll help you on your journey. We'd love to give this to you. So if you're here in the building when service is over, we'll have prayer teams on each side of the building against each wall down front. Go up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you want to talk and visit, great. If you've got questions, they'll answer questions. If you want prayer for some other thing, they'll pray with you there as well. Please let us give you this book today. If you're in a really big rush, just before you leave the building where the glass doors are at the lobby, there's a counter set up there. You can also stop by there and get it right there. Again, 
We don't need anything from you. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. If you're watching online today on your screen, there are instructions as how we can get an electronic file to you. Same information, same teaching. It'll help you begin your relationship with God. We want to give it to you today. So let us do that, please. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family today? God bless you. A couple things before we go. We're almost finished. Number one, uh, I want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. Uh, another example, yesterday we had our annual back-to-school bash. And you know, it's kind of interesting. We didn't have nearly the turnout this year we've had other years. It was much smaller, and we're still trying to analyze exactly why there wasn't as much response. And we've got some ideas, but we're not exactly sure. But you know what? We had a lot of volunteers here yesterday, and we passed out a lot of backpacks, and we gave away a lot of clothing to people who needed it. And I want to say thank you for your generosity. It's your giving that allows us to do these events and reach out to our community. And to everybody who served yesterday, thank you so much. As a matter of fact, would you put your hands together and say thank you to those who served? It was really cool because I got to meet some new people at the bridge yesterday. They were there serving, and I was so thrilled to meet new folks and realize we're carrying the vision that God's given us as a church. And there are a number of ways that you can give. You know, we always, or we usually have, there we are, have it on the screen. Most people give online today or other ways through their online banking. You can still give here in the building. There are giving stations right there at these exit doors in the auditorium. There's one by the children's check-in. However you choose to give, there are envelopes on the seats there. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. We're making a difference literally around the world, not just in our own community. It's because of faithful people like you. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. One last thing. One last thing I want to share. How many of you know that life is full of changes? One, two. How many have looked in the mirror recently? Life is full of changes, okay? Uh, Change is a part of life. Things are always evolving. Jeremy Sharp has been our children's pastor for 21 years. He has done an outstanding job. Jeremy and Chris have had it in their hearts for some time to move out of California. Uh, Some of you say, well, why in the world would you want to move from California? Uh, Jeremy said it's to get away from people like you. That's what he told me. So I don't know. You can take that up with him. But but here, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, But here's the thing. Jeremy's wife, Krista, is an educator. She's a school teacher. She's got a job in the state of Tennessee. And so Jeremy and Krista are going to be moving to Tennessee. And Jeremy's going to be with us through the third Sunday of September, in and out, to help us get things planned for the future. Uh, God still has plans. Uh, We've got a great children's ministry. Jeremy has done an outstanding job with our children, but we've got great people who work in that children's ministry who make it happen. So we'll be reorganizing, restructuring some things. We've got some plans we're working on. This has not caught God by surprise. We knew a little bit of what was coming. So we just want you to know, uh, tell Jeremy when you see him, thank you for all he's done. We will have a Sunday in, in September when we honor him and Krista and pray over them and send them out. But just want you to know the news, it's coming, and the church moves forward. God has not forsaken us. God has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. So Pastor Jeremy, stand if you would right there. Give Pastor Jeremy a hand.
I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy has added so much to our church through the years, and uh, we'll be talking about some of that in a few weeks when we honor them on their last Sunday. But Jeremy, we love you, and we honor what you've done among us, and we appreciate you so very much. So just wanted you to know that news. So you run into Jeremy, say hi, God bless you. Hey, it's 1039. Pastor Gary is on time today. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor Gary's on time. He's not like the other pastors. He's on time. He finishes when he's supposed to. Hey, we love you guys today. Have a great, great Sunday.